So, okay. I'm looking at um, the church called Thyatira. So we're, we're currently going through a ch- teaching series called Calibrate. And the Bible is an amazing gift to us and is often referred to as a reference book or a manual. And held within its pages are many, many instructions to us through many different ways, prose, poetry, stories, teachings, historical writings, and so on. And by looking at the churches in Revelation, we see that they had somewhat drifted and needed recalibrating. We as a church are going to be taking some time to look and evaluate how we measure up against those very instructions that Jesus wrote to the seven churches to calibrate ourselves collectively as well as individuals against the standard that Jesus established. And today, as I've already said, we're going to be looking at the church in Thyatira. So, how many of you are keen gardeners? (laughs) Great. (laughs) I was going to say, you're half, okay, okay. So do you have flower beds or borders going around your gardens? Yeah, yeah, as little as possible. Right, okay. So, yeah. (laughs) This could be rather apt then. (laughs) So, so, oh, did you? I'm surprised you, you can say it. I can't say those words. So when you first started out, for those of you who maybe did do a bit of gardening, You turned the mud, you added fertilizers, you mulched it all through, you planted your shrubs, your plants, your flowers, and you stood back and you were really proud of yourself. It's a flower bed. But then one day you look out of your window and you see that there's a weed growing in your flower bed. And you think, I have to get that weed out of my flower bed after all the time and money that I've spent on clearing, preparing, and planting, my flower bed is going to look beautiful. So you go outside, pull that weed, weed, and then you go back indoors. Then a few days later, you look out the window to admire your garden, and there's another weed. So you go out, pull the weed, and go back indoors. And this process goes on for a little while. Then one day, when you look out and you see yet another weed, you think, I need to pull that weed out, but I haven't got time right now. I'll do it later. Then comes the weekend, and this time when you look out, there are a number of weeds. They're starting to have a bit of a party. And, but you have a busy weekend planned ahead, and it doesn't include gardening. And you promise yourself that you will sort out the weeds later, but then you forget all about your garden because life just gets in the way. And finally, after I don't know how long, many weeks have gone by, and you look out your window and you see that the weeds are really starting to take over. So you put on your gloves and armed with all the necessary tools that you have, you think, right, today is the day. Those weeds are going to get it. So you go outside and you stand there looking down at your flower bed and you think, I just can't do it. I don't know where to start. Some of them have thorns, some sting. Forget it, there's just too much to do now. I'm going to leave it. You see, you'd left it so long that to even pull a weed out was going to rip out some of the good plants as well. Not that there were many left. The weeds had pretty much destroyed the whole garden. The problem really was a twofold one. One, it was the weeds that were growing. And the second problem was your lack of discipline or your lack of commitment to stay on top of the weeds and keep pulling them out. Well, 
This is a picture of what happened at the church in Thyatira. These people were engaging in false activities and false teaching, and it had begun to take root. If Satan cannot destroy the church by persecution, which he tried to do in Smyrna, and if he cannot destroy the church with heresy and false teaching, as he tried to do in Pergamum, he will try to destroy the church by corrupting it with evil. That was his strategy here at Thyatira. So the lesson for us to learn, I believe, from this church is that if we do not deal with sin immediately, it will take over. If we tolerate the weeds, if we do not pull them up, and if we just allow them to grow, they will eventually destroy what was once a beautiful garden. So that is our challenge this week, to pull those weeds up as soon as they appear, to deal with sin when it springs up, to, put it, to not put it aside, because if you do, there is a very good chance that it will go out of control. And I could almost finish the talk there, but I'm actually going to go through the verses with you just to pull out a little bit more. So this passage that we're going to look at is in Revelation 2, 18 to 29. So if you'd like to turn to it in your Bibles, your tablet, your phone app, whatever source that you use, alternatively, the passage is going to um, actually appear on the wall behind me. And as you find it, I'm going to give you a little bit of background on the city. So Thyatira lay about 45 miles to the southeast of Pergamum. It was situated in a valley that connected two other valleys. It had no natural fortification at all, and although at the time this was written, a Roman garrison was stationed there, their aim was not to defend Thyatira, but to delay the invaders long enough for Pergamum, the, the capital up the road, to be prepared for the oncoming attack. Thyatira was dispensable in the economy of the day. Though not easily fortified, Thyatira was on a major trade route and was well known for its trade guilds, such as carpenters, dyers, sellers of goods, tanners, weavers, tent makers, and so on, all making a living from their trade. Now, these guilds were somewhat similar to um, trade unions from a few years ago. It was very difficult for the blue-collar tradesmen and women to make a living unless they were part of one of these guilds. They differed from trade unions, however, in that they were linked with the worship of their gods. Each guild had its particular guardian god, and as a member, you would be expected to attend all of its functions and participate in its activities, which included offerings, feasts, and often sexual immorality. The members of the church in Thyatira were torn between making a living on the one hand, which meant having to be part of the guilds, and on the other hand, staying faithful to Christ and his standards. It was one of the smallest of the seven cities. Sorry, it was the smallest of the seven cities, but it was the one that received the longest letter. It did not have a strong political distinction like the other cities, and it was not known for any great Roman temple dedicated to the emperor. But it was a prosperous trading centre. And according to Acts, Lydia, one of Philippi's most notable converts, comes from Thyatira. She was a seller of purple fabrics, which Thyatira was known for. And she had evidently gone to the city of Philippi to do some business, while she was there, Paul too was there, preaching the gospel. And she, she came to Christ and was baptized and came back to Thyatira. And by the time Revelation was written, this prosperous city had a prosperous church. So, 
This letter begins, as the other letters do, with a description of Jesus Christ. In Revelation 2.18, it says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Every letter begins with a description of Christ that is especially relevant for that church. And there are three things that I want to point out about this description of Jesus Christ. Firstly, he is called the Son of God rather than the Son of Man. This is the only place in the book of Revelation where that phrase, the Son of God, occurs. So why this particular church? Why was he not called the Son of Man in this letter like he was in the others and everywhere else in the book of Revelation? The phrase, Son of God, emphasizes his deity. He is God. And because he is God, he has the right to judge, and this church needed judgment. The title, Son of Man, is a side of his humanity. He is a high priest that sympathizes with us. He understands our struggles, but that is not what he is doing with this church. This church did not need comfort by Christ. They needed his judgment. So he was coming not as a high priest, but as a divine judge. The second thing about his description is that he has eyes like a flame of fire. This symbolizes the penetrating power of his vision. He sees the deepest part of our heart. He sees right through us, right into us. He knows our deepest thoughts and he knows our struggles. He knows every motive and every attitude. And even though we might be saying words that make it sound spiritual, God knows what is in our heart. So this description highlights his omniscience, that he knows everything. He is able to penetrate the darkness of sin and expose all falsehood. There are no secrets hidden from him. So what is Jesus seeing when he looks into your heart? Does it scare you? Are you worried? Or does it comfort you? Because he sees everything. The third thing about this description is that he has feet like burnished bronze. Now these feet of bronze indicated strength for executing judgment. These bronze feet can trample sin underfoot and severely punish that which is wrong. It is a symbol of his judgment and that is the emphasis here. As we look at this letter to Thyatira today, I want to point out three characteristics of this church and why it is so important to deal with sin immediately. Why it is so important to pull up those weeds as soon as you see them poking their heads through. The first thing about this church, which I want to point out, is that it was a progressing church. Revelation 2.19 says, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. He commends them here in four areas. They, are, they were progressing, they were loyal, they had loyal faith, they were laboring, and they were long-suffering. These are amazing qualities. These are qualities that we should all want in our lives and in our churches. 
And what makes it even better is that he says the deeds you are doing now are more than the deeds you did at the beginning. It's progressing. It's growing. They are seeing spiritual fruit and spiritual growth. It's a progressing church. And if you stop here, you would say, I want to be part of this church. And it's the only one of the seven churches that was commended for its love. None of the other churches were commended for their love. What a great church to be part of, to be progressive, growing, and learning, uh, loving. Well, learning's good as well. Yet it is so vital not to let the weeds spring up and begin to infiltrate and take control. Jesus talked about this in Mark 4:19 when he talked about the parable of the soil. There he talks about the thorns that choke out the word, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, and that the result of this is that the word becomes unfruitful. This church has to be careful because any progressive, growing church, if it does not deal with the weeds as they come up, will be moved by those weeds to an unfruitful state. That is why it's so important to keep the weeds out. And that leads us to the second characteristic of this church. It was a progressing church, but secondly, it was a problem church. There were some problems in this church. All was not well. And the first problem we see is, that the, is the tolerance of sin. In Revelation 2.20, he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the, te- the eating of food sacrificed to idols. The problem in this church centered on a woman called Jezebel. She was a dangerous weed that had begun to grow in this church. She was multiplying. She, sin was spreading because they tolerated her. They did not nip it in the bud. They did not go out there and pull that weed up, and so she spread. She was evidently a very dominant leader, and she probably had a very strong and persuasive personality that could cause people to follow her in such a way that they believed anything she said. They probably just wanted to be around her. We do not know for sure, but obviously she was somebody with a strong enough personality that she could pull people and sway them away from the truth. Now, it is very unlikely that her real name was Jezebel because that's not a Greek or Latin name, but a Hebrew one. And no religious Jewish family would have named their child Jezebel. But everyone probably knew who he meant by the way he describes her. Jezebel? We don't have a, oh, I know who he's talking about. It would be like if a member of this church named Bill betrayed you and we wrote you a letter referring to a Judas in the church even though that wasn't the guy's name you would know who we meant okay so she was a wicked and dangerous influence in Thyatira much like Queen Jezebel had been in the Old Testament now Queen Jezebel was considered one of the most evil women there is, that has ever lived She married Ahab, the king of Israel, and he should never have married her because she was involved in a pagan cult. And she was most likely a priestess in this cult. 
She killed off as many of the prophets of Yahweh as she could. She brought paganism into Israel. And after Elijah had, Elijah had this great victory over the prophets of Baal, when he found out Jezebel was coming to kill him, he ran for his life. This man, who was such a victor, right beforehand, all of a sudden, was scared to death. This must have been some really wicked woman. She's known for her evil, her witchcraft, and she sought to dominate Israel. Ahab, her husband, lacked the moral conviction and courage to stop her and did not confront her. So the name Jezebel suggests that this new Jezebel was corrupting the church in Thyatira, much like Ahab's wife Jezebel corrupted Israel in the Old Testament. She was probably influencing many in the church of Thyatira to engage in these immoral, adulterous activities. Thyatira had the opposite problem that Ephesus had. The church at Ephesus could not tolerate evil men or false teaching, but they did not have love. Now, here is a church that had lots of love, but they had become tolerant to false teachers. There needs to be a healthy balance in our lives and in our churches. We need to love, but we also need to not tolerate sin. Sadly, the church in Thyatira tolerated this woman in her sin, and now these weeds were spreading throughout this otherwise healthy church. It starts with one little weed, and then it takes over like that picture of the garden I talked about at the beginning. The next problem that the, in this church was the lack of repentance. In Revelation 2.21, he says, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. All of us have sin in our life. I do not think a day goes by that I don't have something to confess. Maybe it's a thought or a negative attitude. But we all sin and every church has problems. Every church has sin. But what matters is how we deal with it. What do we do with that sin when we see it? Do we ignore it? Do we tolerate it? Or do we confess it and turn away and leave in the opposite direction? Do we repent? Do we pull up the weeds as soon as they appear? Within this church, we have strived hard to create a culture of come as you are. In fact, if you were to look at our website page, right on the front there, it states that we are creating space for imperfect people to come as you are. But we also strive to be a church that says, don't stay as you are. The message that we give is that Christ loves you so much that he does not leave you as you are. He offers you transformation. God gave Jezebel time to repent, but she did not want to. She had a stubborn heart towards God. And when you have someone in your church that you go to and you confront their sin and they refuse to repent and want to continue in sin, then we as the church have a responsibility to practice church discipline. And that is where we pull the weeds up. We just can't ignore it. We also cannot just ignore sin in our own lives. When God shows us our sin, we need to decide if we're going to ignore it or rationalize it and not actually call it sin. Oh, that's not a sin. I'm just concerned about this thing or that person, so I'm talking about them so that people know what to pray about. That's gossip. 
Do we rationalize it or do we just hit it on the head and go, do you know what? That's a weed and I'm going to go and I'm going to pull the thing up. I'm going to get rid of it and get it out of here now. God does not show us our sin to discourage us. There have been times which it has discouraged me because I think, oh God, I hate what I see and what I do. Yet he shows us our sin so that we can deal with it, so that we can confess it and that we will move forward and move on. And if we're going to move forward in our spiritual journey as an individual and as a church, we have got to deal with the problems as they come up. We cannot let them fester. We cannot let them spread like weeds. The third characteristic about this church is that it was a precarious church. It was a church which found itself in a dangerous situation. It was teetering between two outcomes. The outcome would depend on who they chose to follow. Let's look at the choices that they were facing. They could first follow Jezebel, as we read in uh, Revelation 2, 22 and 23. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. The prophetess is condemned to sickness. Some interpret this as death. Her children, those who choose to follow this doctrine, would eventually find punishment and death because they were following a false gospel. Jesus wanted them to repent. This was his charge to Jezebel and her followers. And for those who would not repent, that was what was going to happen. This is serious stuff. Sudden and immediate judgment and intense suffering. The judgment would be so dramatic that he said that all the churches will know that I am the one who searches hearts and minds. So they are in a really precarious situation, choosing, am I going to follow Jezebel? And this would be the result. Or, am I, or the second choice is, do we follow Christ? And in Revelation 2, 24 to 25, it says, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned, sat- and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Thankfully, there were some in, the church, in this church who had not followed Jezebel's teaching and they had not engaged in these immoral, immoral acts that she was leading people to do. He tells them, only hold on to what you have until I come. Hold tightly. Be victorious. Don't give up. What happened to the church in Thyatira, Thyatira isn't limited churches. Individuals can fall as far and hard as an entire congregation. Men and women who once accepted the authority of Christ and the direction of the word of God can begin to falter. And one sin leads to another and another and another until finally they are no different than the world. Today, take a moment to look at your life. Is there any difference between the way you live and the way your unsaved co-workers or neighbours live? Is there any difference in the, about the, the things you say? About the way you spend your money? 
about the way you treat your husband or your wife, the way you bring up your children. The teachings of Christ are not just for Sunday morning, but for all your life and for every area of your life. And so we come to the final three verses. And firstly, we see that Jesus has two promises for those who chose to follow Christ. In Revelation 26 and 28, it says, To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule with them. That one will rule with them, and I and scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. So to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, God promises two things. I will give authority over the nations and I will also give him the morning star. He says that he will give authority over the nations. These Christians have been reminded that God has given Christ ultimate authority over all nations and now he says he will give this authority to the church and we will reign with him. We don't have to be worried about the world as it presses in on us. We know that we shall rule and reign with Christ. And second, he says that he will give them the morning star. In Revelation 22:16, the morning star is identified as Christ himself. Those who hold on to the truth will not only govern the nations, but possess the Lord of the nations. We shall enjoy the presence of the Lord forever. He is the reward. The lesson learned in this letter is that the lordship of Christ must touch all areas of our lives. If Christ is indeed Lord, he must be Lord of our education, our business practices, our social activities, our budgets, our relationships, our families and our free time. His truth must guide our choices and our responses to the values of society. We cannot allow ourselves to follow any false teaching that would lead us to embrace sin. To allow those weeds to infiltrate, grow, spread and take over. Rather, we need to lead holy lives as best as we can. To be in the world, but not of the world. But instead, to live as a witness to the world. You know, we tend to copy the people with whom we associate We borrow thoughts from the books we read and the programs which we watch almost without realizing it. And as Christians, we should desire to be impacted by the word of God and remain faithful that we may impact the world around us. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 5. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So... Are there some weeds growing in your life that you need to deal with? Some weeds that maybe you've just sort of ignored and said, you know what, I just don't have the energy to deal with that right now. Tomorrow I'll deal with it. Be careful, because just like that garden, it becomes overwhelming very quickly. The longer you wait, the more it hurts and the more damage it will do. These weeds may be something just like a negative, critical spirit that just creeps in now and again. Maybe they're jealousy, lust, or rebellion. Maybe they are gossip or just the lie that Satan has planted in your mind and that has just started to sprout and take root in your life. I encourage you today 
pull the weeds up. Because if you do not, that picture of the garden, overgrown, plants being choked out, is exactly what you're going to have in your own life. You don't want that. Let's stand.